previously, previously on the Game On Podcast. So you've got to be honest with people and you've got to, they've got to trust you. And if they trust you, you've got a decent chance to get the best out of them. But, and that's not what was happening at that, that stage, no. And then the administrative career, Collingwood, Collingwood, uh, you, you know, nearly got up to in the grand final there where, ironically, a goal umpiring call against Rocker probably cost Collingwood dearly there. So you're unlucky there. And then, of course, we'll get onto the uh, the Geelong side of it with, with Harles and, and that side of it. Um, but, yeah, great career in administration as well, Barmy. Go through some of, you know, starting off at Collingwood and all that sort of things. Yeah, well, the Collingwood at the time was fantastic and we, we were a bit stiff. Um, we did lose a couple of grand finals and we, against the AFL team because uh, the AFL looked after Brisbane in those days. Um, but, that you know, that was just the way it was. But we were we were a little bit stiff, but we were, we were pretty competitive and very strong and, and I think I had a reasonable influence there, and I, I really kind of enjoy, I enjoyed my Collingwood time, but I'd sort of come to the end of it in the end, and I was lucky enough to uh, to get to Geelong, who were fantastic. They're wonderful culture. Um, Cookie was fantastic. I mean, Tommy Harley was an old um, Adelaide mate, as yeah. it turned out, and um, and he's done really well, and he's now, what does he say, uh, Sydney or yep. whatever. So, yeah, no, he's a... You know, really good fella. But um, no, Ge- Geelong was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that. Bomber was good fun in the early days. And then we appointed Scotty as well. So, um, no, I, I genuinely, in, um, I mean, I enjoyed the Collingwood time. I really did. But um, even more so at Geelong. I'm still, I've still got a lot of time for Geelong. I think they're you know, a really good bunch of people and do things the right way, personally. But, um, um, you know, I've, I've been lucky. Uh, I've had some good things to do in footy. And, um then I went back to Collingwood for a couple of years because I wanted to help Bucks. And I saw him the other day, and he's a terrific person. Um, but I wasn't really able to quite get that done either, sadly. But uh, that's only because I think they went a bit mad themselves but, uh, from inside. But but then that led me to um, going back to the Tigers, which in the end was probably the is going to be my legacy in footy because, you know, they, I'm a Richmond man deep down because yep. I played for them. And, um I've, I've had some wonderful times and I'm, I'm still hanging around there. I'm not doing quite as much as I did before, but still very engaged and very much a, a Richmond man. And Rick, I can't walk down the street without somebody talking to me. So uh, that's probably not a bad thing, is it? Nah, not at all. Nah. Uh, Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete. Once again, joined by Malcolm, and uh, we did miss last week's episode. I was a little bit under the weather, and uh, it was Grand Final week, and it would be uh, remiss if I didn't play this.
And, uh, mate, obviously, uh, we're talking about Barmy, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about his time at Richmond, but uh, it was Collingwood's day to uh, to shine on uh, on Saturday. Oh, what a game. You know, the h- highest margin was 13 points in the entire game. It ebbed and flowed. Some of the greatest, grand f- uh, greatest goals, let alone grand final, Zach Bailey's two just... Uh, Ex-Nord boy, so yes, we claim him. absolutely. Despite the fact he might have only played one or two junior games, <laughs> hey, but hey, yeah, we won't worry about that. That's right. But, you know, a couple of Zach's goals and yeah, just a fantastic game. Look, I do want to bring up one thing in the game, Pete, and yep. it's been carried on since about the uh, free kick to um, the illustrious Brownlow medalist and then the play on, the play on call. In that, from Lockie Newell and that when Zach Bailey grabbed the ball and kicked it, I want to really emphasise the umpire got that correct. Mm-hmm. As an umpire, that's the instructions. And don't believe me, it's gone amongst the umpiring fraternity. Sure. And Colin Rouston really you know, didn't muck around. That That's the correct call. Initially, I thought the umpire might have been a bit out of position, but I think if you do it's, actually look at, look at it in it's, its totality, you're right. It's written if the player decides to take... The advantage, it's play on. on. Bailey kicked the ball. Now, if you want to change it and argue, well, hang on, he didn't hear and all that, that's fine Mm -hmm. to give the umpire a bit more leeway. That's okay. But don't, at the moment, say the umpire made a mistake because he didn't. The umpire, under the current instructions, and I want to really emphasise that, nailed it. Absolutely. He's 100% correct, and that's a pretty important difference. So we'll take a little bit of a step back and we'll have a quick, Quick, just preview of the uh, the prelims, which generally are the ones that yeah. you go, you know what, they're absolute belters, classic games. Melbourne and Carlton played out an absolute beauty, and that last 30, 40 seconds from Carlton, switching the play, taking it on at all risks. Risk. You thought when Lever marked at half back there that, that it was, it was just it was yeah. just going to happen for Melbourne, and to Carlton's credit, they uh, they certainly uh, they did the job against Melbourne, and then. Port Adelaide threatened all year against... Uh, Thick injuries caught up. Yeah, and, and, and sort of were in the right place at the right time at times. And on this occasion against GWS, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time with some injuries that, you're right, had caught up with them a little bit. We did talk previously about some underdone players and some players that weren't quite uh, hitting their straps at the right time, and that's what cost them, really, at the end of the day. You can make a case that they should have had a look at a few other players during the minor round, and then Hinkley virtually, in the end, well, geez, we've got to play with what we've got. You know, Dixon vastly underdone, obviously. Yep. Um, and that... Finlandson, massive best wishes to him. Bugger football. Football's irrelevant Absolutely. for what he's going through. And you can understand where his, his form had fallen off. And then, You and can the, still say he should have played probably instead of Dixon still. Yes. So, yeah, look, they didn't nail up Port. Um, pretty amazed and disappointed the decision personally on Nathan Bassett. Absolutely. We'll talk about that one yeah, a little bit later. And then GWS throw the absolute kitchen sink at Collingwood in the prelim uh, you know, with Collingwood winning by a point, a point in the end, uh, GWS for me, and I, and I sort of been harking on most of the year that geez, they're a tough team to play against, and they proved it. And yet again, so Laura Kane for me is batting massively, nought out of two so far. That the Maynard fiasco, and then to come out and say when the umpires were criticised for the the lack of the Kerry the Kelly trip, the obvious uh, green too high. 
Oh, no, no, the umpires didn't make a mistake. Don't do that, Laura. Come out and admit you yep. get far more respect when admitting in any workforce, in anything, where yes. actually admit, no, we made some mistakes and blunders there. <laughs> Don't try and cover it. For me, she is a massive worry for the game so far. I don't think I've ever seen anyone in any job seem so far out of their depth as Laura Kane does so far. Yeah, fair Massive off. worry. Uh, Toby didn't look like he had a neck, but then Jack uh, Ginevan didn't really have a neck for most of the season either. And you see McRae put up his hand, I think, at round 17, 18, going, yeah, we've I- got, we finally got one. These I, players I want to buck, come back. Buck, buckle buckle yeah. at the knees a little bit as well. So you've got to play that into into some of the you decision You do, making. and I'm sorry for as much as Craig, Craig McRae's been unbelievable. Oh, like he's ab- been 11 out of 10. Absolutely. His one mistake was not coming down on Ginevan. When Ginevan did it at the start, was getting the freeze. Collingwood were very happy to go along with that ride mm-hmm. instead of Craig McRae. Shit, long-term picture here. Yep. He's cooking his own goose. Yep. They're, they're going to wise up to it. Let's let's get this out and get it out of his system. Absolutely. And now, Ginevan's cooked himself, and yep. he cooked himself deservedly in terms of an umpire's always going out of that. Now, the one on Toby, I don't think Toby Green does that, and I just think that was a blatant too high for a kick. Oh, absolutely. And it's the Toby tax does yep. come into yep. thing there. Yep. Fickle. And then uh, Brisbane, well, up at the Gabba, Carlton, <laughs> at qu- qu- yeah. quarter time, I'm sitting there going, maybe I need to book a grand final ticket and mm. crack the beers open and start to in- in- enjoy the footy a little bit. And then you sort of knew Brisbane were going to come, but they completely changed their game and it caught uh, Carlton unawares. And that that was probably my biggest disappointment is they weren't able to adapt. A couple of errors by Carlton. A couple of times where they picked slow play when it should have been fast play and vice versa. Because mm-hmm. I, I admit, I didn't see, didn't see. I was working at the Amateur League Grand Final at Norwood, so didn't see until the score to halfway through the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And by then, Brisbane were back in it. Went over, watched the last few minutes in the Premier's Bar at Norwood yep. before leaving. And at halftime, you knew Brisbane. Brisbane were home, effectively. They just had the game on their terms yeah. from quarter time. But, yeah, Carlton really sort of, uh, they threw their haymaker early and it, it landed, but uh, they weren't able to uh, to knock over Brisbane. And, and to be honest with you, nobody's been able to knock, knock Brisbane over uh, up at the Gabba this year. And no. uh, it, it, it just shows you winning home games as an interstate club is such an advantage. Oh, and that's where Adelaide stuffed up with a couple at home, which... They carry on still about the umpiring mistake against Sydney. Well, how about their own errors? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then we move along, like we talked about just a, a little while ago, the grand final, absolute classic, four oh, points. Um, you know, 12-18, I thought Collingwood might have kicked themselves out of it at one stage. Brisbane just found a way of staying in there. Lockie Neal was fantastic, and we'll talk about him now, actually, as the surprise Brownlow medalist. I mean, yeah, he was probably in the conversation a little bit, but... Geez, if Nick Dacos had played one or two more games, yeah, we're, we're, we're talking completely different, aren't we? I just, for mine, as an umpire, and believe me, all umpires, we talk about this all the time, mm-hmm. that it's quite often games where you have no idea. You, mm-hmm. Even the three vote might stand out, even the two vote, and then you come to the one vote and you've just got no idea and it's just a, yeah, whatever. And then how many medals? I say... Does this... 
go away from the umpires or should no, no, we my, leave it with the umpires my and bit, give them some stat, stats to, to work with a little bit? Yeah, have that. But my bit isn't – that's for me, is not the problem. My bit is that it's promoted and has always been the highest individual award in the game, you know, the McGarry, mm. the Brownlow, the Sandover, etc. Yep. yep. It's an umpire's award. The highest of vote in football should be the coach's award and the MVP. Getting regarded as the best player amongst your peers yes. should be the greatest. I, I think that's chain, changing, though, slowly. It's getting there. Brisbane really cost a lot of that mm-hmm. a few years ago. John O'Brown led a uh, bit of fun and had a particular player who wasn't known for his physicality, mm-hmm. won the most courageous mm-hmm. or whatever, and that put those awards back a fair bit where, hang on, if the players aren't going to take it seriously. Then, well, yeah. So that really hurt for a while and it was, look, I get the joke. Absolutely. But it didn't really think, shit, hang on, what's the long-term ramifications here? And I think that probably put those awards back five to ten years. Look, Okay, I'll say allegedly John O'Brown, someone from Brisbane. That's fine. That's probably the <laughs> yeah, way that, to phrase that's it. Right. Hey, phrase it. We can edit that. That's no yeah, problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, certainly Lockie Neal winning his second, obviously, uh, once at Frio and, and once at Brisbane. Uh, champion player. Oh, look, he, he's, he, he is an abs, absolute champion. And he's no a South Australian that. too. Yeah, so, yeah. so we'll claim it from that point of view as well. But, yeah. but where to f- for, for, for Brisbane... Uh, now, you know, for me, their window, and I don't know, it's such a cliche word, their window's closing a little bit more. But again, if they can continue to win games at the Gabba, they put themselves in a position. Yeah, they're going to position. put themselves in, the, in, still in that window place. Look, I, a lot of people are really hard on Eric Hipwood. That's his year back after a knee reco. Now, quite often players need that year and then the next year. Danaher was better, mm-hmm. a lot more consistent overall. So right. I don't really think they've got Zorko, um, Gardner maybe. They haven't got – no, I think only Gardner's only 27, sorry. So a bit unfair on there. Yep. But he, Zorko's probably the only one who's maybe tinkering around the yep. edge. But but the matchups with Collingwood, though, are, are what's key look, for, it, for me anyway. It's such a fine line. <laughs> At the moment we'd be saying, you know, if Brisbane get up, we're saying, geez, are they in line for another dynasty? Collingwood probably. Again, I think let's also herald Collingwood's game style with that. The highlight move for me was the risky kick from back to Howe in the middle who took off, kicked long to Bobby Hill. Yes. Now, Collingwood would have won a premiership with McStay injured. Yes. My check did very little. Yes. Frampton was in the side purely to try and negate Andrews. Yes. And a like for like for McStay, but did nothing yes. offensively. In fact, you know, he had an absolute stinker offensively. Yep. yep. Um, and that so they got nothing. And Cameron, when he went forward, Cox, when he went forward, did very little. So they've won a premiership with no input whatsoever from a tall tall key. Mm-hmm. So I think that's more a tick to their game style that they create enough opportunities. They kicked twelve, and they did miss some. They should have kicked. Yep. So. It was a great game. I think another tick for the small forward potential impact. Like Bobby yep. Hill was brilliant. Yep. McCreary had his moments. He kicked a few points where if he's if he's kicked three of those, yes. he's suddenly in the mix as well. Absolutely. So I, I 
Uh, it was a bit of a masterstroke, though, for, for me, putting Cox into the ruck, being a basketballer. He was very he good. He did give them just that little bit more of a look at the that, that first look at the ball. And I was sitting with a mate of mine who's at Mad Sydney and... You know, he's talking about Grundy. We want, you know, we want Grundy because of that tack. tack yeah, oh, look, and let's. And I said Collingwood are probably going to win this game on the basis that they've moved him from being a forward experiment into a more natural role of of tapping a ball. And that ruck tap he got after Cameron had kicked the goal to hit the front, and then yes, it was brilliant by Dacos the handball to the goalie, mm-hmm. but it did start from Cox's tap. Exactly right. Um, well, know, again. Natural basketballer knows how that to tap the ball. Suits that suits that role. Role, yep. So Collingwood were able to adapt on the run all year. They've done it now for the last two years, where they've played in some unbelievably tight games and always seem to come out on on top. Big tick for McRae, and just the culture that seems to have changed at Collingwood on a massive thing. You know, like Noble was a an amazing omission after eighty three. But how good was Markov in those couple? Yeah. Couple of finals, so he's gone from obscurity. Gets invited down to Collingwood preseason. No, we're not going to have you. Just in case, goes yep. to have a run. It goes to trains at Carlton. Then there's another injury back at Collingwood, so he's back at Collingwood. Gets in there and has his best year. And now he's a premiership Incredible. player. Unbelievable. Uh, all I can say is congratulations to Collingwood and um, let the uh, silly season begin and we'll, we'll talk about that yes, one a little bit later yes. as well. All right, let's move on to the SNFL. And obviously, Glenelg uh, taking out this year's premiership, and right from the get-go, most impressive team ball movement-wise that I've seen uh, for the last couple of years. Sitting with Raf Sturk and Paddy Graham, some couple of Pembroke mates, and Raf went right. Oh, come on, let's come rule book. Give us your tip, margin, and uh, and uh, Jack O medalist. Yes, and I've gone Glenelg twenty-four points and Luke Hosey. Yes. I did. I did say Luke Hosey as he kicked his first goal. I will yes. say it was there that we did it a couple of minutes in. Yep. Um, he he just looked like he was going to have a day out, no matter what. That was but as that soon was as the thing. He's a real confidence yep. player, and as soon as he snapped that first one, yep. I said, "Hey, Hosey's on." Yes. And yeah, I, I wish I'd done that before the game with the tab. <laughs> we, we might we might be in Bali doing this, mate. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you're right. Uh, first goal. You know, even the first couple of minutes, you could just see. Glenelg's attack on the ball and their positioning, a little bit like what Nord was last year, you know, that their positioning was very, very good when it came to shutting a, a lot of forward movement down. And Glenelg just seemed to be able to take that to a whole new level right from the get-go. And Stuart like hit said, the post a couple of times early, McFadden with a left foot snap. And look, for mine, Glenelg were just workmanlike. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit like, say, Nord in 12 against yes. Westies. Just did exact enough what they had to do yes. to win the game. Yep. I always thought Glenelg had the game totally under control. Even when Sturt kicked those couple of goals in the few goals in a row in the third quarter. And yep. by that stage, I was with Tim Jackson and a couple of Sturt boys, you know, were coming back. And I, nah, nah yep. Glenelg has still got yep. this under control. A little, little bit like um, uh, Collingwood, a little bit, that they sort of seemed to have the game in control, but Sturt was sort of hanging around the mark a little bit. But you're right. 
there's nothing more that I can say about Glenelg at the moment than than the, the professionalism. New coach for the first time, uh, coming in very very late to the year. Structure seems very very sound. Some very very good players. Just yeah, like you said, workman. Like I, I don't know where to go from here. Oh, let's that, also let's just applaud them. That that's the, the beauty about it. Reserves premiers as well. Yes. In what was a great game. That was actually being honest, a better game than the league game. Mm-hmm. Um, better contest yes. anyway. Yep, yep. Um, so that and their juniors. Yes, they're going to lose some who will be drafted and and that. But they've got you know from having commentated Glen Elgin, yeah. seeing their eighteens and sixteens. They've got three or four who will be good league footballers for Glenelg Football Club. Absolutely. And uh, once again, we congratulate Glenelg on the uh, 2023 Premiership. And I'm assuming that there's probably still a few of the boys that are celebrating. The uh, the chimney unveiling uh, would have happened uh, Monday or Tuesday as per usual and um, usually kicks on for a few days. I was actually speaking with a Glenelg supporter last night. And uh, yeah, let's just say that they were still doing some autographs and still down at the base. So congratulations to the Glenelg Football Club. All right, we move on to the AFLW, mate. Um, no, I'm Glenelg. If I didn't mention Richard Douglas and Sam Balderstone, I might have been. Uh, yeah, I did actually see Might have been a bit Dougie of trouble there, 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 so yes. Fair cool. All right, we'll move on to the uh, AFLW. Uh, Adelaide, once again, starting to um, assert a little bit of dominance once again, sitting second on the table at the moment. Uh, with uh, a record win against GWS the week before. Obviously, we're we're playing a little bit of catch-up here. But then uh, another win, obviously, over the Suns by 32 points. Yeah, I went along on Sunday. Look, I've got to be honest, I didn't think the standard was quite as good. I thought there were a lot of drop marks. I did ask Matty Clark and a couple of players afterwards, was it windy down lower Mm -hmm. sort of thing? And that girl said, yeah, it was a bit. But, yeah, I didn't think it was quite as good as it has been. You know, um, mind you, having to back up from a sort of a club record uh, winning margin the week before, sometimes there can be that little bit of a letdown. Oh, and Gold Coast played pretty defensively. They were defensive on Mariner and all that. So it became a bit of a struggle. But Adelaide, awesome. always, yep. Adelaide always, it was a, bit, a little bit like the grand final in that regard of the SNFL grand yes. final. Adelaide always had the game well and truly under control. But I, it'll be interesting to see this week against Melbourne's the test yes. to see where they're at. Where they're at. Port Adelaide uh, just going down by six points to West Coast over over in uh, in Perth. Uh, entertaining game at times, but Port are just lacking one or two experienced players. That's really what it gets down to at the moment. They probably fall away a bit. Their list still obviously at the start and that. Um, so yeah, let's just wait and see. I'm absolutely on that. And then we move on, uh, as you mentioned, round uh, six, uh, Melbourne v Adelaide, one v two. This one's going to be an absolute builder. Um, where do we see this one playing out? I mean, really, at the end of the day, it should be prime time Friday night, but unfortunately, it's uh, 2.35 on a Saturday. Yeah, I look, I think that's one of those things um, that happens in programming yeah. with anything. Yep. Um, look, it's not the be-all and end-all to win the game. Uh, it's certainly not the end of the season for the loser. No. It's just, you know, and that. So, look, I think Melbourne at the moment, I do think Melbourne are a bit better than Adelaide at the moment, mm. but we'll see that on 
We will no. see a bit more on Saturday. Reigning premiers yeah. uh, have lost a couple of players, have gained a couple of players, yeah. but I think what we're starting to see is that the, uh, the 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 teams that have been in since sort of day one, the structure, the ball movement, um, you know, some of those sort of key things are really starting to show through, and the teams that have come in a little bit later are still sort of playing that little bit of catch up, which was always going to happen, unfortunately. And I was privileged to end up in Adelaide's presentation upstairs at Unley after the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, full credit to Matty Clark and uh, Phil Harper, the way they conduct that. It's um, very much team-orientated. Yep. And then Tim Silvers came in and gave a presentation at Danielle Pont- uh, Ponto for her 50th. 50th, yep. And, yeah, it was really well done by Adelaide Footy Club. A couple of shy girls in Young Martin who got the trademark player Award and uh, you made Marcel Marceau look like loud, so that was quite amusing. <laughs> yep, and um, uh, she thought very similar to Campbell at Nord in that way. That'd be a great conversation between those two. There you go. Um, be very quiet, but that way. <laughs> and um, but yeah, it was good. So absolutely. Yeah. And then Port Adelaide taking on Sydney uh, at Albert and Oval. Good opportunity for for Port to uh, notch up another win. Uh, Sydney going okay at the moment, but uh, you know I think Port at home, you'd have to back them at the moment. Should they should win at home? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right, we're going to um, we're going to go straight on actually to the uh, NRL yes, now. Yes. This was an absolute belter of a final. Uh, the, uh, the the prelims didn't quite live up to what we thought they might, but. Penrith being 24-8 or 24-6 down at the 56-minute yeah. mark. Incredible. Um, I actually flipped channel very, very quickly, totally forgot about it for five minutes, come back, looked at the score and went, what the hell did Penrith do here? And then all of a sudden I watched it and it was try and then another yeah. one and then Cleary. a conversion and then another one and another one. I'm like, they're going to win this. Sure enough, they've just come along and basically created NRL history by uh, one of the biggest comebacks in NRL history. Yeah, the state of Queensland and Brisbane, in you know, in terms of the city's gone from hero to zero pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, from what would have been a ridiculous uh, celebrations up there if they'd won both. Mm-hmm. Um, to yeah, as you said, hero to zero, uh, Cleary just yeah, wow and. Wow is the word. Who do we who do we compare him to in the AFL, or who can we compare him to in the AFL? <sighs> Gee, maybe a Judd in terms of delivering in the crunch. Yep, the, the pace acceleration. Yeah, I, Michael Voss maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm probably not a. I struggle a little bit with rugby in that way. Yep. I admit, no, 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 I, no, I, I, I'm not. Yeah, I don't know enough. Yep, didn't grow up with it, so I'm just. No, no, no. You know what I mean? so, hey, so, fair yeah. call. Yeah. Uh, poor old Forex Gold would have been uh, absolutely making squillions, but unfortunately not making as much as they would have yeah. hoped to. But um, congratulations also go to the Gold Coast uh, Suns for winning the VFL, VFL Premiership, yeah. which we should have mentioned just a touch earlier. But uh, good for them to get uh, a win on the board. And I think it opens the door a little bit to uh, potentially uh, AFL reserves, but we'll talk about that one a little bit later. But, yep. wow, congratulations to the Penrith Panthers creating history. Three in a row, biggest comeback in grand final history. Uh, there's not much more you can say. One of the best players going around and still going around. Who knows, they might go four in a row. I think probably the best way to describe it is the two grand finals, two all-time classics. That's probably 
Uh, what a hurt. week! What a weekend for yeah. sport, really. Yeah. At the end of the day. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got uh, Tony Simons from the Glenelg and Hawthorne Football Clubs uh, coming up as part of our past players, past legends segment. And of course, we were going to have Tony last week, and all that you know was obviously a bit of a highlight with Glenelg going top as well. So yeah. absolutely. So we'll follow up on that, and I'm sure he's going to let us know all about it. You're listening to the Game On podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Past players, past legends, past legends. Today we're pri- privileged to have Tony Simons on the line. Simo. At Glenelg, 81 to 86, 88 to 92, 225 games, 230 goals, dual premiership player in 85 and 86. And of course, with Glenelg winning the flag, it was appropriate to have a Glenelg person with us and was meant to be the last week, but Pete was crook. Also a year at Hawthorne, also coached Glenelg in 95 and 96, but a, a real fanatical Bay man. Welcome aboard, Simo. Thank you, boys. Nice to have a chat. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, like we do with most of our guests, we we like to find out where it all started. Where where did you play your junior footy? Who, what was your junior club? And and, um, and and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I didn't really have a junior club. I went through Sacred Heart College um, for my entire schooling, and a lot of my mates went out to uh, other footy clubs, but I sort of didn't. So I sort of. Um, Staggered my way through through school and and Sacred Heart system, and then went straight out to Glenelg to play under 17s in 1979. Sort of straight from straight from second 18s at Sacred Heart. Never made the first. Oh wow! See yeah. some illustrious other people in that same sort of boat. Yeah. Rick, Rick Davies yeah. playing mainly yeah. thirds, uh, third 18 at Princes, and that. So yeah, yeah. and I didn't yeah, realise that, Simon. We used to talk about that, Rick and I, when <laughs> we were comparing our failures in, in, at Hawthorne. We were um, we often joked about him playing second or third eighteen, and I was at, I think it was PAC, I think he was, yes. but um, uh, me at Sacred Heart, yeah. So I just couldn't crack it. I was pretty small in those days, and um, to be fair, I think the bloke who was coached in the first eighteen in those days, brother Des Tuck, who was a ripper, um, was more concerned about my light frame really, than, than playing me. So, in a way, they might have done me a favour. Who knows? Of course, at Glenelg, then, just a real... You've always been a figure at the Bay and sort of that group, you know, the Fantastic Seven, which yeah. obviously probably caused a lot of <laughs> damage on Adelaide nightclubs and all that side of things. <laughs> the Simo. Well, it, nearly, it nearly didn't happen. I remember playing under-17s when I just turned 17, so that was early 1979, and um, I was struggling to get a game. I'd sort of be on the bench, and um, Johnny Gordon, who just died recently, yeah, yep. an old uh, South Adelaide man, was yep. a ripper as well. And um, we got through to about June, and we had, only had 18 blokes fit. So I thought, well, I'm finally going to get started in the 18. <laughs> they brought two blokes back who they sacked in February, and put one of them into the side ahead of me. So I'm sort of sitting there before the game at Little Gable in tears thinking, this is it, I've had enough, I'm going. And fortunately I stayed and um, bloke did a hammy and 
I think, um, late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, a bloke called Dave Conway. Uh, and uh, I got a, I got on and, and played pretty well, I think more out of anger, and uh, sort of held my spot for the rest of the year in under-17s and then progressed on to under-19s the following year. So it was... Um, it got a bit tight at one stage about whether I'd ever survive there. Um, coming off a you know um, average career at Sacred Heart as well, but um, things started to turn. I got a bit more confidence, and you know a year or so after that, I was playing seniors, which was great. And then that group sort of really you stuck together. That real group's been very tight, mm, and mm. it really the, still the, now. Yeah, well, the magnificent seven, as we coined, uh, we called ourselves, it really probably should have come from someone else, but we decided <laughs> that to do. And um, Walshie and Peter Maynard and Chris Duthie and Tony McGuinness and Chris McDermott and Stephen Coonahan, it was a sort of fair group coming through. And, uh, you know, Stephen and Chris and myself were playing under-17s together in 1979, or at least early in the year before Stephen... And I think Chris both got sort of promoted up the tree a bit. And um, I remember I didn't really sort of wait for the crumbs. If Stephen was jumping for it, I'd just keep running because 19 times out of 20, he'd mark it and turn around <laughs> and you'd be 40 metres down the ground on your own. So probably a bad habit, but you, you could sort of see he was a class above and, you know, we just sort of played to his strength. So, But we were tight and... In those days, no mo- mobile phones or whatever. So if one of you was going out somewhere on a Saturday night or a, or a Sunday, you'd sort of ring one or two of the other boys and they'd ring the other guys and you'd all meet up. In those days, you had to meet at the prescribed time because no one had a phone to ring each other. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were very, very tight and still still very close, a lot of us um, today, for sure. Well, so with that, you're on one year different with you, but with my birthday, same with you, with you being February, with me being January, I ended up sort of with that older group in front of me. Um, yeah. Did play a game, or well, I didn't make the Nord high under 13A side, uh, but against uh, Brighton where we had John Hall and Michael Palm and that, and beat yeah. and beat Brighton and Sticks kicked seven and we still won. So, yeah, really? I, I do remember yeah. that. And my they were other... hard to beat in those days, I know that, because oh. they had, you know, a lot of good football. And I think Tony McGuinness had headed over there in his last year. He might have been a year younger yeah. than Chris and Stephen, but I think he was playing and they had gun sides in those days. And it's really sad now. A lot of these schools don't have a team anymore. Yeah. And with Bone, I, I've always wondered how high Bone could have gone in cricket. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a set – him and Sticks, mate – Sticks was just tall, as we know, right back then. He was actually bowled off the wrong foot. He was unorthodox yeah. as a cricketer, <laughs> where Bone was a gun keeper. And I actually yeah. filled in at a state primary school game, Pete, as made up the numbers, and Bone ran me out without facing a ball. So I've oh, always had he? that with Bone ever since. Uh, but I reckon <laughs> I'm a mile in front of the beers I've got out of that over the years because I well, certainly yeah. wouldn't have made any runs anyway. So, yeah. Yes. We well, used to play a lot of backyard cricket at the Kernahan House, yes. Wilton Avenue there, and he was hard to face. Stephen. It was like facing a windmill, and he's bowling off the wrong foot, and he was quick, and all that. So that that was sort of a bit nasty back in the day. Oh, I can imagine it would have always been competitive. Yes, yes. Yeah, so yeah. Go through to so your league, your league debut league debut uh, in eighty one. Um, uh, Simon, go through that, mate. Yeah, well, Steve Highwood was our seconds coach in those days, and we all loved 
the ace and he came up to me a couple of weeks before that, sort of early June, said, there's a state game in a few weeks, we'll have a few out and you'll be playing league football. And I'd never considered it at that stage, sort of early 1981. And um, anyway, uh, John Halbert was very good to a lot of us kids in those days and I had reasonable skills and coming from where he had a stirred, he sort of liked that. So um, I think we had seven, six or seven guys on the state side, Ralph Silver, Paul Weston, uh, Cornsey, you know, Carey, Jimmy LaHue, Keith Coleman, all those yeah. folks. And um, so I got picked and uh, we played Woodville at Woodville. I stood the great Ian Detman. And oh. He was <laughs> my first opponent. He's a couple, and, of lunat- uh, couple of lunatics there. Who's who? Yeah, yeah, he was a nasty piece of work. Looking oh, back, good no, man. He wasn't. He was good man, Detto, yep. These days. And, um, anyway, we were down. I remember we were down at quarter time or half time and, in those days, we used to beat Woodville, you know, routinely. Um, but we got back and we beat them um, by three or four goals, I think. And then all the guys came back the following week from the state side and I held my spot, which was just about a, a, a bigger thrill, really. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fair. You know, we played Sturt at Footy Park and all those guys came back in the side. So I got a chance to play with all those guys, which was, you know, just marvellous looking back now as a, a young 19-year-old kid and probably 58 kilos and I'm playing with Corns and Weston and Carey yeah. and yep. um, I think Ralph Sewell was one of them as well at the time. They sent me a telegram. I remember they sent me a telegram from my first game from Perth, all those boys. So that was nice. And then unfortunately my third game, I was only 19 and we had dinner at home the night before the game and my brothers and I used to play a lot of backyard footy, even in the dark. Yep. And um I went out and got tangled up in the, in the, with the clothesline, playing two on two <laughs> with my brothers, and landed flat on my bum. And I did my groin pretty badly, and I could hardly walk the next day. And I had to play. We played South and Adelaide over. I, I wasn't going to tell Jack Albert what I'd done, so I played. And I only got put on the last three or four minutes of the game. And um, I went up to Jack on the Monday and said, Jack, I've done my groin, I can't play. He said, but you're only on for three minutes. I said, no, <laughs> I didn't warm up properly and I've, I've, I've just done a groin and believe it or not, I missed six weeks. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't walk, let alone run, so probably shouldn't have played in the game. Missed, missed six games and played the rest of the year in the twos and we won the flag. Yeah, I was going to say you won the, yeah, that's the flag under, because uh, Jamie Mason played in that, I reckon. Yeah, Meso played for sure. I've been in touch with Meso. He's overseas yeah, at the moment yeah. on a trip. You've probably yeah. seen that. So uh, he was a gun, Meso. He just struggled to sort of crack it at Galil for whatever reason. And as you know, went to went to North Adelaide. But uh, yeah, Meso played. He was a star back in the day. And we were lucky that year. We beat Port, I think, by a point in the grand final. There was only one goal kicked for the southern end, I think, for the whole game. And we, we kicked it you know, late in the last quarter to win the game. So always good beating Port with seniors or reserves. We didn't do it much on the seniors, so we take it when we can get it. Now you're uh, doing a little bit of research. Uh, you're a wingman. Were you a dashing wingman, a traditional dashing wingman? Um, I wouldn't say I was that quick. A lot of people thought I was, but I wasn't. I had a probably reasonable ability to read the play a couple of steps ahead, so I'd sort of... I was pretty fit, so I'd sort of spend all day running. Uh, in those days, you tended to stand the same guy most of the game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a real weak battle of the wingmen back then, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I always thought I was fitter than most folks. So I, I sort of just run just for the sake of it, really, just because I sort of, in my own mind, the bloke on me halfway through the third quarter would start struggling and I'd still be going pretty strong. So that was always part of my plan. <laughs> Quite honestly, sometimes I'd just say to the bloke, come on, mate, let's go for a run. And the bloke would look at you and go, well, I'd say, come on, let's go. And there was no reason for it. It was just a matter of I was trying to, you yeah, know. Mind games, yeah. Yeah, mind games and run, run them down a bit. And, um, you know, normally the last quarter, and we have a good side too, you know, most of the time. So you sort of take a risk and run forward of the play a lot in those days because the game wasn't as structured as it is today. Um, so sometimes it didn't work and you'd get, you know, you'd, you'd be in strife from the coach. But most of the time, you had freedom to sort of improvise a bit and make stuff happen. And, you know, talking to Stephen Stripp sometimes these days and Andrew Page and some of those guys, you know, Torrens were a bit limited at the time and it was easy easy being a wingman and a good side. So you sort of tried to take advantage of it a bit. But the game was very different and, and you weren't sort of quite as accountable as you are now. I want to remember, you playing the 82 grand final, Simon? I played in the seniors in 82. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that was a great day, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we um, we come from fifth that year yeah. in the finals. And um, uh, I was on the bench a lot. I think I played um, maybe 17 games that year. And I reckon I was on the bench for about 12 or 13 of them. And but the game was just changing. The interchange bench had come in the previous few years and they were starting to work out how best to use that and um, I held my spot you know for the latter part of the year and after being injured a bit earlier in the year again and um, uh, yeah we I think we got done by 10 goals by yeah I was mucking around obviously there Simon I bought out my Nord (laughs) I did bring out my Nord bias there look and I think Glenelg were a bit unlucky then too then you only had six days on the on the yeah. break after the prelim, and of course that had been the Granger prelim, and yeah, you know, super yeah, carry. It was a big day, a big couple of weeks. The, the Granger thing, and it was a wet day that prelim, yeah. and um, um, there was a lot of pressure on. It was a hard fought game, and obviously we got over the line by a point. And then, as you know, Grand Final day was hot. Yeah, and I remember seeing a couple of our blokes running up and down the spot early in the second quarter, and I thought, well. That's not going to be good, but you know, at the back of my mind, I thought I'll probably, I'll probably get on early. Um, but yeah, we were, you know, struggling, and um, as you know, six goals from a bloke called Rick Neagle didn't help either. Yeah, we may. We hear about that occasionally too, yeah. I think we have talked about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably haven't heard it. Haven't, probably haven't heard it today yet, but it's only one o'clock. Yeah, that must well. Plenty of, plenty of time for Neags to shove that out yet. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Mate, no. But a good grand final, all, all the same. And, and I mean, back in the day, the the big four were alive and well, weren't they? Yeah. You know, Port and Stett, Nord and Galilg. And um, you look through the grand finals at that time, and those teams were pretty re- routinely um, part of it, weren't they? Which was great. And then playing under Graham Campbell, of course, the. Uh, yeah. The, you know. Interesting, that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a, a different cat. Um, you know, obviously. Start of '83, I think we lost our first seven before he got sacked. Yeah, um, and a lot of us loved him because he was playing us, and um, you know we threatened to go on strike and all sorts of silly things. And the club reneged and reappointed him. And then we played South the following week and got done by eight goals again. So we lost our first eight. Eight, yeah. 
Um, but then got close to making the finals again, as it turned out. I think we had to win maybe two of our last three or something. I think we lost two of our last three or something. Like I think that. you but, needed um, results to go your way as well on memory. I think. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so but we loved Graham and, um, you know, some funny stories, you know, <laughs> strangely enough, the one that comes to mind was that, was that um, the parade and the rooms were a bit funny in those days. And it was sort of a, uh, the away room had sort of another room attached to it and you couldn't really see what was in there. And Graham, Graham was sure Nord had their spies in there and that they were listening to the pre-match. So when when he pulled the, the, the blanket off the whiteboard with the team on there, he read the team out, Christian names only. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, it was Tony and Stephen and Christopher <laughs> and uh, Wayne and Alan. And, and we're sitting there, honestly, trying try not to laugh. Yeah. And he, and he used to eat a lot of apples. And if you were sitting too close to him at the time, you were getting bits of the apple and all sorts of stuff was going on. And he's reading the team out, thinking that Nord are listening. And we and before we ran out one of these games, he, I remember him saying, and don't forget Neville Roberts, he's a bit like 007. He's got a licence to rhyme, uh, to roam. He's 009. <laughs> Jeez, I, Rocky will love that. I'll bring yeah, that up with him. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget him saying it. We're running out like laughing. Oh. So um, it sort of didn't go all that well at times. We we loved him, but uh, it probably wasn't ideal and, in, a, in a lot of respects. And at the end of the day, the club made a call on him at the end of 84 and, you know, fortunately, probably appointed Studley, which was a great move and probably the move we needed to try to discipline us a bit. And I do have to bring up one quick game with you, with, with you, Simo. At Glenurg in 83, Pete set the scene for you. The legs are... The legs are up. It's the last quarter. Glenelg were coming. Nord have come in the ball out of defence. Uh, error. There's a kick out on the full. So it's, you know, Glenelg's free. Mm-hmm. The Nord guys have run ahead of the ball. Jeff Wilson's marked the ball. I'm sitting next to him in the in the crowd at Glenelg. Simo's trying to grab the ball off Jeff. And we're yelling at the Nord guys, come back, pick, you know, McDermott up, pick. Uh, and Simo's going, give us the fucking ball. And... Uh, <laughs> And yeah, so I, was a, I don't know if you can remember that, Simo, but I did I, say to I Jeff I'd remember, bring that up. I remember there was two blokes who wouldn't give me the ball yeah. on, the far side, on the far side. Far side, side correct, goal, yep. And I just wanted to get hold of it and get it on because I think we were down at the time or the game was close. And uh, <laughs> you, you didn't do anything that I wouldn't have done myself, I can tell you that, because the game was in the balance and it was important to get it on. But I, I do remember it. And I remember swearing, and that wasn't a nice thing to do in front of young people <laughs> and kids. But you had to do what you had to do. Oh, it was a you, bit of fun. It showed the you, tribal warfare. You, exactly. You, exactly. You, you boys were uh, truly the 19th man on that occasion. Oh, we were Directing the, traffic, yeah, holding onto the yeah, ball. Yeah, had Charvo, it get back <laughs> there. Get, yeah, don't, don't worry, it was full on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, uh, I love all that stuff. It was... Um, you know, in a, a, a different world, and no one got offended. And, no, you know, no. it was a bit. It was just part of the game, really. And you you walked it off afterwards, and you moved on. So what, better days, really, boys. What What were some of the crowds like back then? Because you know, we oh, we, we sort of we, we forget about it these days because we don't see how um, some of the grounds were 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 full to capacity at stages. But what was it like playing in front of a you know home home crowd at Glenelg there with a Pack Stadium. Yeah, I used to just 
really love it. Well, you'd wake up Saturday mornings, you were playing footy, which is what you sort of lived for in those days. You'd get there early to watch the reserves play and get yourself prepared. You, you had a routine. There was always a lot of people around. And it sort of, you, you felt bigger than Texas running out onto the ground. And, you know, you'd play games at Footy Park, you know, minor round games, and there'd be 17, 18, 20,000 people yeah. there. Um, and it was just incredible. You go back to the club, and the club would be chock a block oh. full with people. And um, it was just hard, hard to explain. A bit like playing AFL footy these days in Adelaide to Port or the Crows, where everyone knew you or knows you, and um, you got sort of looked after. It was a bit like that, not to the same degree, of course, but um, there was a lot of benefits. Everyone seemed to know you if you went to buy a pasty or a a sandwich, you know, the boat people would talk football with you. And, you know, one of the guys who owned one of the snack bars around from where I worked in the bank at Brighton there, he was a mad Nord man. And if, oh, he's a good man, yep, yep. Yeah, he was a good man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you'd sort of think after the game, you'd be in the showers after the game, slumped on the ground because you'd lost thinking about the week ahead. And you felt like you couldn't even go to the snack bar to get your lunch because you couldn't put up with the grief you're going to get from this guy. And, it was just everywhere. Yeah. Adelaide was consumed by it, and um, I really, really loved it. Oh, but, Simon, I think, let's go, you know, those days, it was very much, we'd all, quite often everyone would run into each other at Sam's on the Saturday night, yeah. and if we didn't yeah. see it at Sam's on the Saturday night, you'd be at the Bay Disco on the Sunday night. Yeah. And then yeah, and exactly. then and then Lenny. So anything what had happened amongst the players, it was all yep. sorted out by Sunday night and that yep. was over and done with. And yeah. Well ninety percent of the blokes you'd meet, as you know, would be great blokes. And, you know, we're all a bit different on the ground and all had our nuances, I suppose, and some people were, you know, more physical than others and some people were smart with their mouth and whatever, but not you know, nine times out of ten you'd meet those blokes and, and take it home, have a quick drink and one drink might turn into more. And yes. thing you know, yes. you know, there'd be thirty bikes from four or five different footy clubs in the the back corner of Galil yeah. having a laugh on a Sunday night and thinking should should better get out of here, gotta to go to work tomorrow and train tomorrow night. So And it didn't matter if you were a player or a supporter, you know, like obviously I'd known you know just purely yeah. Eagle Nil guys, because I'd known no one bone and sticks through cricket at twelve, so I'd come over and say hello and it was everyone everyone knew each other. It was yeah. You know, no, of course. It was a great and, days. Um, you know, we um yeah, we had some <laughs> some massive nights yes. there over the years and the odd night where the club someone from the club would ring Cornsey at midnight on a Sunday night and say, You better get down to the club and get those boys out of there because <laughs> I think Harry had told the security guards they weren't allowed to touch us back in the days, and we sort of knew that, and uh, probably a bit arrogant about it. But when we saw Graham walk in at half past eleven, quarter to twelve on a Sunday night, we knew it was time to go. <laughs> Fair call, mate. Before we move on, I'm, I'm sure um, Malcolm's itching to start asking you about your AFL, but you didn't no, mind eighty five and eighty six. Eighty five, eighty six. But yep. you didn't mind a sausage roll. Two hundred and thirty goals uh, in two hundred and twenty-five games. Uh, that's, uh, that's very, very good effort, mate. Well, I didn't believe in passing it once you run an inside fifty. <laughs> I, I just couldn't see any sense in that whatsoever. And I actually tell a funny story. Um, uh, John Seabone was playing full forward uh, for Glenelg one day at Footy Park, and 
I'd known Steve since he'd come down to Glenelg in the early mid, uh, sorry, late mid seventies with Mike Armfield, who was my cousin. And um, Steve's was playing full four, and I was running along the boundary line at the northern end on my left foot. And in those days, you didn't have to centre it; you'd just about have a shot all the time. And I've kicked a left foot check sider on the run, and somehow or other it went through. And everyone's running around, and we didn't high five in those days. It was just a pat on the ass and yep. well done, and all the rest of it. Blake saying, Great kick. And Steve's walked out from full four and said, Yeah, well, I didn't need bloody lead because I knew he wouldn't pass the bastard anyway. So, <laughs> so he was my favourite grumpiest teammate. He's, you know, he was right. I wasn't going to pass it, and he just let me know in an understated manner, but different, once again, different area. You could get away with it. Bloody good player too, John Sebo. And very yeah. quietly efficient. Uh, you know. He played 300-something yeah. games and yeah. um, came down as a full forward, but you always knew at centre-half back he'd punch from behind if he marked it. Yeah. He'd just start running wide, and on that left foot he'd kick it 55 metres to you and, and lace it out. So it was just so fortunate. We just had such a star-studded side in, in a lot of ways. So... Yeah, I didn't mind getting on the end of it, boys, and having to stop the goal, that's for sure. So now the glory years of 85, 85 and 86, and you, you, the real North Glenelg era, really, of 85, 86, 87, yeah. and, you know, had Glenelg, you'd lost, obviously, a lot of finals, and, you know, particularly grand finals and that, but, yeah, yeah. go through the glory times there, mate. Yeah, well, we a lot of the boys, Stephen and Chris McDermott and um, Tony McGuinness all played in the 81 losing grand yeah. final. And then we all played in 82 and lost. Um, and sort of then I think Peter Kerry, uh, 83 we didn't make, 84, Peter Kerry got suspended yeah. um, in the finals, I think, against Central. Central we, yeah. we lost those two games in a row from there. Well, yeah, um, and at the preliminary... For, um, for attempted Attempting striking. striking, which was yeah. Yeah, crazy. And, and and then the prelim final, at one stage, Glenelg were... I reckon you were two goals fourteen at one stage in that prelim against yeah. Nord. So yeah, it was you're right. it was a bit of a you're crazy right. game that that day. I as remember well. looking at um, Peter Carey who was on the bench sitting there, and he's looking at me in the last quarter like do something, do something. And I'm looking at him going, mate, I'm trying. I could just see him pleading mm. um, to get us over the line. And of course, it it didn't happen. So that really stung us a bit and it probably hurt Graham Campbell more because it probably cost Graham Campbell yeah. a job. Yeah. Um, and you could argue whether that was right or wrong at the time. Um, but 85, um, for some reason or other, don't remember being nervous. In those days, you drove yourself to the game and yeah, listened to your own music right. and you had your car there, you weren't in a bus or anything. And I just remember rolling up. It was a nice warm day thinking, we're going to win, I'm going to play well, um, let's go. So there was no nerves or whatever. And I remember feeling the same way in 86, just thinking North were, you know, reasonably warm favourites in 86. But I just don't remember ever thinking that we were going to lose, even though I think it was 85, we were down by nearly five goals early in the second quarter. Yeah, the, um, where, Robert, where Robertson bounced the ball in that poor pocket yeah. running to the... Um, Lake Southern uh, End. Southern End, yeah, and it bounced yeah. away from him, yeah. Yeah, we all talk about that a lot in the days afterwards because our blokes were right under the pump and they had so much of the ball and our back line was chasing all the time. Remember Wayne Stringer and Chris Duthie chasing Robbo and Robbo sort of bounced it over his shoulder 
um, and then almost still got it back and somehow or other Bain laid a tackle and Duth got it out of there and I think Kimmy Hosman ended up kicking it. I haven't seen it for years, but Tony Hall might have got on the end of it and it, you know, instead of us being 35 points down, I think we went down and kicked the goal. It was 23 yeah. points. So, and I do remember standing on the wing, on the grandstand wing, looking at it when we were 29 points down. I think David Tiller kicked the goal. And I looked down forward line. I thought, well, Kernahan hasn't hardly had a touch yet. Stephen Copping hasn't had a touch yet. I, I remember thinking we'll still win. Okay. Which I don't know why, probably youthful exuberance back in the time, back in the day, but I really remember thinking that. And um, I think we went in at half time, two goals up after being five goals down, you know, the 10 minute mark or something. So and that was pretty much the ball game. And we kicked a, a goal early in the third quarter, which just made us all feel like, yeah, it's going to be our day. So, um, well, you were two pretty but, fair targets to kick to, like, you know, Kernan, we know he's one of the all time greats, but, uh, but, Copping Inspector Gadget arms, which you know they seem just yeah. to never go stop, and he always marked the ball at the highest height, so he played That's tall. Right. He played he tall. He, he he was a very very good player. And we had Adam Garton down there too. Yeah, right? Adam right. Garton might have kicked four in the grand final in '85, and he was probably getting the third best defender, you know, um, back in those days. Yeah. Which gave, gave him a real chance, and. Um, you know, the Stringer boys sort of toughened us up a bit and Scotty Shaw's been big Wayne, Hen- Wayne Henwood sort of running around grunting at people and um, he was just a man mountain. And good. I remember him Ragdoll and um, Michael Redden and Michael Redden was a champion bloke and a champion football and strong but not half as strong as Wayne Henwood was. So we sort of had, you know, an incredible team and, and probably looking back to lose Kernahan and McGuinness at the end of that grand final, still win it the following year. Yeah. As underdogs was probably even a, a greater achievement in some respects. Happy days. All right. Happy birthday. Kieran Strawn from the Adelaide Footy Club. Uh, obviously, Ruck dra- drafted in 2019. Much upside for this young Ruckman at the Adelaide Crows, but only playing five games in four years with the Crows and at times has been underutilised behind Riley O'Brien, who has led the most hit-outs. Uh, will 2024 be his year for his breakthrough? Oh, look, I'm bitterly disappointed that the Crows haven't had a look at Strawn for mine. Riley lacks in the Ruck, ruck craft. It's just to hit the ball. Uh, he lacks. So he's getting good num- getting good yeah, numbers, but he's not getting not, uh, value. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. Yep. Yeah. I just for me, Strawn's a more natural ruckman. I would have had a decent look at him by now. I think it's ridiculous. Someone four years on the list, and you still don't know whether they're good enough. Good enough by now. I would have had at least had a proper look at him. But oh well. Considering ruckman and also backman seem to be the flavour of the month come trade talk at the moment, you would mm. have thought that this. Uh, this gentleman here might actually be on someone else's radar, but Adelaide seem keen to keep a hold of him. And yeah, I'm hoping 2024 they do have a pretty decent look at him. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I've got to admit, if if I was North Melbourne, I'd make a play for him. Um, well, now that Goldstein is yeah. not, obviously nominated uh, Essendon, so I'm just using North Melbourne as the example. example. Yep, you know, I, I'd certainly make a play for him. If I was another club. Absolutely. So. All right. In 2018, uh, the NFL, New England's Tom Brady becomes only the third quarterback to record 500 career touchdown passes as he connects with Josh Gordon 
in the Patriots' 38-24 win over the Indianapolis Colts at Foxborough. Tom Brady, enough said. Really, <laughs> just those two words. 500, tu- yeah. 500 career touchdowns. Uh, not bad for a player that was taken pretty late in the draft. That's the other big thing about it. A lot of people sort of go, that, you know, he was always a superstar. Was Couldn't run, couldn't, you know, yeah. almost the Dane Swan, a little bit of, you know, not quite your stock standard player, yeah. gets taken a little bit later and then becomes an absolute legend. Becomes a legend. Absolutely, all right. Uh, 1988, we'll stay with, well, actually, we'll go to racing. Australian motorcycle racer Mick Doohan wins the Australian Grand Prix at Phillip Island, Phillip Island to clinch his fifth World 500cc Championship. All five titles were won on a Honda. Yeah, great, you know, fantastic at his craft, Mick Doohan. That's probably as good a way as putting it, um, he was certainly always around the mark for quite a while, and at fifth world championship, he was yeah, he was a gun. Absolutely, and a legend of his of obviously racing. Uh, Nineteen eighty eight, we stay with uh, we'll keep with cricket. Australian wicketkeeper Ian Healy overtakes countryman Rod Marsh to record uh, to, sorry world record of three hundred and fifty five test uh, cricket dismissals during the first test win against Pakistan. Uh, catches uh, Wazzy Akram off of Colin Miller to reach the milestone. Funky, yes. Don't think he had purple hair that day. So um, the funk, living in America. Hopefully, he's one of our listeners in America. Yep. Um, yeah, Healy was a great keeper. And Look, wh- you can, uh, you can. He's certainly in the in chatting for you know any talk about the best keeper and how good he was off Warren. Do you think he was the last May. Australian? Pure keeper because obviously we talk about Gilchrist being unbelievable keep, keeper, but he could bat so well as as well. I still think Gilly was a better keeper than he's given credit for because yep. he was such an explosive batsman. He was a lot better keeper than he's given mm-hmm. given credit for. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ian but, Healy though would be certainly relishing that he took Wazzy Akram as as his world record catch. Yeah, look. As I said, if he in any ballpark, you know, Grout and you know, Talon, yep. Healy's name gets yep. mentioned. That's uh, probably the best way to absolutely. put it. Absolutely. And to finish us off on the MLB, uh Cleveland win their last game under the Indians name, beating the Texas Rangers six zero. It was more the name change, wasn't it? It yeah. was. So obviously, uh back in two thousand and twenty one, uh looking at um uh a, a lot of Things going on in the world, the Indians was uh, classified as uh, some sort of, not not racial, but, you know, disrespectful to, to the Indian culture, changed the name uh, and, and have since then and maybe looking at changing it again as well. So we'll see how that one plays out, but uh, good on them for winning their last game as the, uh, the Indians 6-0. Yes. All right, let's get into the extra time big finish. Extra time, big finish. All right, mate. Cricket talk. Uh, where are we at with the cricket? The Redbacks obviously just uh, starting yesterday at yeah. Karen Rolton Oval. Jake Lehman putting in a uh, captain's performance, but uh, I'm sure you're going to uh, give us your thoughts on that one, mate. Yeah, I, I did go along yesterday. It's always the best day of the season as a Redback supporter. We're, 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 we're equal top at the start. <laughs> you know. um, 
But yeah, our batting was disappointing. Throw a young McGurk's dismissal before lunch, 10 minutes before lunch, caught it deep, long off, off um, Freeman was a pretty average shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've, we've gone from none for none for 35. Kelvin Smith's again teased with a 20. Yes. Henry Hunt gets out. Uh, yeah, uh, Drew failed and McSweeney failed. So yep. we became four for 50-odd pretty quick. Yep. And so you're always playing catch-up from there. And then Lehman and Malenti got in a partnership. Um, Malenti hit him beautifully. Mm-hmm. Jeez, he, he, he's a clean hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, 70-odd. But yet again, he didn't convert into 100. Um, I did say he was unlucky to, to him later on. And he said, no, nah, no, nah, he hit it straight to him. I said, no, nah, who caught you? You were unlucky. Yep. In Freeman from Sydney. Look, he's probably as... Could a catch for cricket ball as Billy Frampton was marking on Saturday. So <laughs> I, I do reckon he was a bit unlucky, <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't a great shot. Yep. And, and again, look, 300 at Cam Rolton isn't a big score. No. It's a grease lightning outfield. Yes. Um, currently Tasmania, one for 156. Um, what Jake, are they- uh, Jake Weatherall got a stinker of a decision yesterday too. Yep. I, I'm watching thinking he's got nowhere near that. Yep. And uh, did ask where's Agar at fine leg. Uh, yeah, he replied on that affirmative there. I did catch up with Jake, and yep. Jake is going to come on the show yes. at some stage. So it was great to catch up with Jake afterwards. It's probably with him for probably 20 minutes, half hour after he batted. So it was good, mm-hmm. great to catch up with him. And, and, and that's the beauty about Karen Rolton, I suppose, is that a little bit more intimate. What, what are we expecting today? It's a little bit cooler, a little bit, you know, are we expecting the pitch to dance around a little bit, or no, are, we, it, are we thinking it's still pretty flat being early in the season after the after the footy's obviously Look, been on it most of the They've tried the no no it's 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 a drop in it's 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 a drop in that that started at Cam right. Rolton that's this is the first game right. of it gotcha the playing the consensus among the players late yesterday was at least there was more pace and bounce in it than what there had previously been at Cam Rolton so right. they thought it was a bit better wicket mm-hmm. but for mine it looked like late in the day that this is going to be a belter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Malenti dropped the hard court and bowl, which would have had him two for 68 yesterday. Yep. Um, and at the moment, they're obviously cruising along. So um, I'm a bit of a fan of Jewel. I, I think his name, I'm surprised his name isn't being brought up as a potential replacement for Warner. I yep. think he's right amongst it. Okay. Fair call. Cool. So, uh, Australian, <clears throat> excuse me, the Australian women's team uh, getting uh, just getting pipped at the post uh, last night by a, a, a one or two runs with a ball or two to spare. Uh, Matthews had a yeah. bit of a, a, a night out, and um, yeah, I think they need to watch out for her in the next couple of games. Are we starting to see teams starting to catch up to Australia a little bit? I think a little bit, but also I think just hey, this girl is a gun. Mm-hmm. It was hundred and. It was virtually two runs of ball, 130 out of 64. Yes, that was when I saw it as well. Yeah, yeah. and look, I think that's what you've just got to remember. And that can be cricket, one player. Yep. And, that, and I think this girl was a very, very good player. Yep. So Looking yeah. forward to seeing her over the next uh, little yeah. bit. And obviously the uh, the Men's World Cup coming up as well, which we'll talk about as that uh, progresses. Yeah, it was just eight million warm-up games. <sighs> and look, 
the warm-up game against Pakistan last night where Warner bowls two overs for 41 and retired. Yeah, they're Mickey Mouse games. Just get on with it. Ah, fair call. All right, let's move on to the AFL trade talk. It's, uh, like we said a bit earlier, a bit of a silly season at the moment. The one that jumps out for me at the moment is probably Ollie Wines seems to be a name that potentially could end up at Sydney. That that, that surprised me when I sort of uh, read that. I think they're, they're stuck with a turn of rock and a hard sea with wine, with wines. They don't know what to do. They know inside mid is where he really must play, but they're going, but hang on, Ro- Rosie, Butters, uh, Horn, Francis are our makings of our p- potential premiership winning midfield. So I, d- I don't think Port know what to do. Yep. And wines end up you know, on a wing at times this year, which was It looked a bit, a bit lost, yep. and yeah. Yeah. So I just don't know. I, I think they're stuck and don't know what to do. Yep. Uh, Brownlow medalist, uh, sorry, back at the Brownlow, Port Adelaide's basically top three players were Horn Francis, Butters and, and yeah. Rosie. So, yeah, it's a real quandary, isn't it? Yeah, I'm more interested in what happens in their BNF. Let's wait and see on that one. Yep. So, well, yeah, we'll we'll find that out over the I next I think where Wines well. finishes there we'll is a bit of a... Indication. And, you know, let's be honest... He's had a couple of pretty average years since winning the Brownlow. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah. fickle. Uh, you did mention this a little yeah. bit earlier. Nathan Bassett uh, doesn't have his uh, contract renewed for 2024 at Port Adelaide. For me, that's a staggering considering what he had to work with in the back line. Yeah, look, I'm, you know, I can't deny I will. You know, I'm a Nord person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know Nathan very well. Mm-hmm. I regard him ridiculously highly coaching-wise, and so does everyone else around the trap. So, yeah, look, let's just wait and see on what happens. But, yeah, I'm I'm more than disappointed at that decision, but that's Port's call. That is. Now, uh, a little bit earlier on today, it it looks like uh, uh, James, I think it's James Riley from the Crows, it looks like he might be heading off to Geelong. Does that open up an opportunity for Nathan to end up back at the Crows? I would hope so. so. I would have thought so as well, but... Stranger things have happened. Yeah, we just got to wait and see. Look, Bass was in the running for the head coaching role at one stage too at Adelaide, so I'd be disappointed if he wasn't interviewed at least. Absolutely. So. Um, any other trade requests that are sort of tickling your fancy at the moment? No. I'd, I don't think there's anything that's jumping out. Look, the wah-wah about Oliver in the last couple of days, I yeah, I take all that with a grain of salt, and I think people are jumping at shadows there. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in it that he was he was upset with Melbourne with the way with the hamstring. Melbourne were upset with him, mm-hmm. believing he wasn't professional enough. So there could be a little bit of truth there, but I think there's a, a lot of scuttlebutt rumours behind the scenes. I think it's a load of crap. So yep. I'm going to leave that at that because, yeah. Tom Duday? Does sound Brisbane. Um, Is there absolutely any chance he's staying at Adelaide? No. 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 Um, look, and I don't blame Adelaide for that. Look, Dodie, let's also remember, he w- he had a pretty lu- lucrative long-term offer in front of him and through his manager as well. Mm. Probably made a, an error in not signing with that and then it's changed since he's done his... And it's his second knee Rico. So I, I think someone on a two knee Ricos... You, you are taking a you're taking bit of a risk. risk, and it's it's a big thing to offer someone after two, the age of twenty six, a five year contract. So I think Adelaide are being responsible. 
And look, I'm a fan of Tom as a person. Absolutely. No, and, I really want and that's to, why I ask. I really want to emphasise that. I love the stuff he does with Bedford. Uh, I, I've i seen him with Alex with wheelchair footy. Mm-hmm. Alex, the superstar, who tossed a coin at the SNFL grand final and his mum just messaged me a minute ago in yep. Sonia. So, yep, yep. Um, and that, so Alex is a person I have huge regard and I love seeing Tom with him. Mm-hmm. So... That, in some ways, he's my favourite Adelaide player for that sort of thing. But I don't blame Adelaide for him in that way. I, I think he was probably poorly advised. Yes. And and it's, I think, yeah, it does look like Brisbane. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, we move on. Uh, Tennis, uh, Tennis Australia announced that they're going to start a day earlier than scheduled. They've listened to the players uh, on the basis that... Uh, Usually the backlog of round yeah. one games takes them into the early hours of the morning um, for the first uh, couple of days. Early uh, hours of the morning's probably even been complimentary. Look, I like, have been you know. at Melbourne Park at four fifteen in yeah. the morning watching a watching a uh, five set match. So I oh. do I do get it. I would have fallen asleep by that stage, <laughs> Pete. I've got to no, be no, honest. No, fair, fair enough. I, I do get it. Um, I think it's it's smart. I think. The men's and the women's tour is going to change quite a bit over the over the next few years, and it's almost going down the path of the live uh, and the yeah. and, and the uh, PGA type tour, where money is becoming such a, a big issue with it that uh, uh, they need to get together to to make sure that they keep the uh, status quo as it is. Maybe a few less tournaments, maybe a few more. Prize money tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, let's be honest; it's insane to be playing at three, four o'clock in the morning. So, e- exactly right. Because you've also got to remember that winner starts at a mile behind the eight, the eight ball for the next round because of the body clock. Absolutely. So, uh, rugby uh, Australia, the Wallabies, Ooh. mate. Uh, I, I, I really didn't want to put this one on the sheet, but I sort of had to. Where has this all gone wrong? Once the darling of Australian sport now basically being knocked out in the group stage. Can't see Eddie surviving this one. Um, yeah, look, who knows? It's um, they're certainly almost back to really square one, square one, and strip it back and try and work out a strategy from there. Because at the moment, oof, it's not good. It isn't. I totally agree with you. All right, mate. Uh, to finish us off. The good, the bad, the ugly for the week, mate. What's your good? Oh, I think the two grand finals, yeah. you've, you've I, just, that's probably it in a nutshell. Yep. Just incredible. Look, there were so many things, you know, the Collingwood, the Dacos family, more presenting it to his son. You know, it was McRae announcing his wife's had a baby that morning. Like, geez, could they do anything else <laughs> right? You know, Selwood last year. Yes. They're making this nice and hard for us blokes. Um, <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I, I just think. That that was the ultimate look. The bad. I'm going to go for Laura Kane for yep. the week before foot in the mouth disease again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the good, the good for me that the the, uh, the grand, both grand finals, the NRL, the uh, AFL, but also the SNFL grand final. I think uh, Glenelg were absolutely stunning. Um, my uh, my bad my. Bad and my ugly for the week is probably Carlton at the moment. I have to give him a little bit of a, a clip for uh, an unbelievable first quarter and then falling away a little bit to a uh, very very good Brisbane team. But um, that's just uh, that's just me having a little bit of fun. Yeah, there. Charlie Kurnow was probably a little bit disappointing there that he 
it stood May and, and um, it's in the finals. I'm trying to think who else Carlton had played. Yes. To start with. But he had two gun opponents and he'd struggled and that. You thought, right, pain out. They don't want to play Andrews on him because they want yes. him to intercept. So it's Gar- it's Gardner. Yep. Charlie, it's your time to shine. And they started well and he was involved early and you thought, hey. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he just, for, didn't, just didn't do enough. For me, Charlie and McKay in the same yeah, team is what is my biggest question, question. question mark. Yeah. Every time that uh, uh, McKay doesn't play, Charlie is absolutely dominant. Every time that McKay does play, mm, things just don't don't quite seem to add up. Yeah, which is weird because you would have thought two tools, another opponent there, we can get a better match up, work it there. Maybe you know they can learn from Collingwood's ball movement and structures. Mm-hmm. So yeah, are you interested? Just a bit of a side note, going back to our trade trade details, especially with Adelaide. Are you interested? I'm quite very interested that Adelaide seem to be looking at a lot of forwards at the moment when their deficiencies are obviously uh, a midfielder and and defenders. Yeah, I. I think the one on Burgess, mm-hmm. the interesting bit is he actually played down back when he was at Westies. So I wouldn't be there's surprised if there's chance for him to come to play down back. Just because he stopped the VFL goal kicking the last couple of years. If I'm saying, hey, young fella, you come with us. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a, give you, you a decent look at you down back. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's what it is for me. That so, could be where it starts. Yeah, let's wait and see. All right, mate, uh, another huge episode. We thank um, Tony Simons for his time uh, today, uh, obviously talking about the Glenelg and Glenelg Premiership. And um, as per usual, mate, we, uh, we promise to do better next week. Thanks, mate. Thank you. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at Sportscast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.